0: Welcome to Fraternal Review, the podcast. We are honored to have Brother Daniel Molina, 32nd degree, here with us today to discuss the Fraternal Review issue titled, The Taxil Hoax. Brother Daniel Molina is the current officer and past master for Hibiscus Lodge 275 in Miami, Florida. He's also a committee man of Masonic Education for District 27 and the guest editor of the May 2022 issue of Fraternal Review dedicated to the 19th century anti-Masonic conspiracy, the Taxel Hoax. Brother Daniel,
1: welcome to the show. Bro, thank you so much for having me uh, on again. I really appreciate it. It's an honor to be here and I'm, I'm ready for it. Yeah, yeah.
0: Likewise, it is an honor to have you back. Uh, it's great to sit down with you again and learn more about this fascinating topic. I know this is going to be probably some information and a discussion that not many people have heard, not many Masons maybe have even thought about since being raised to the sublime degree of Master Mason. But for those of you who don't know, I also wanted to just share that Brother Molina guest edited a Fraternal Review last year and recorded a podcast on the topic of Stoicism and Freemasonry. So I strongly encourage everyone to check that out, as well as this podcast in this issue. So, Brother Daniel, let's get right to it. What is the Taxil hoax?
1: So, the Taxil hoax is quite possibly one of the craziest and most insane things that you could ever read about, and above all, it is real. It's a conspiracy that uh, spanned 13 years that was perpetrated by this individual that was using a a pseudonym, uh, Taxil, Leo Taxil. And second, essentially what he had done was he was somebody that at an early age had become very interested in wanting to join the craft and wanted to become a brother. Uh, he eventually did end up becoming a brother. He went through the Entered Apprentice Degree, unfortunately, or I should say fortunately, because of what he did. He was kicked out of the craft shortly after uh, for literary theft. And it was during this time that he had he, he used to publish these uh, anti-clerical texts that were making fun of Jesus Christ and some individuals that were in the Catholic church. And uh, it was around this time that he uh, read, it was on, on April 20th, 1884, when it was published the humanum genus. So it was this, this text by Pope Leo the 13th, that was against Freemasonry and, where the Pope was outlining specifically that uh, the Masonic order was the direct contrast of the Catholic Church, that the Catholic Church stood up for, for truth and justice and Freemasonry was everything that truth and justice is not. So Leo Taxil devised this plan to kind of say, hey, you know what? I, I have this bad experience with the Catholic church and I kind of want to one up them and, and prove them to be a uh, gullible individuals. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say, Hey, I went through, you know, I'm, I'm a Freemason. I, I'm no longer in the craft anymore. Uh, I want to tell you what their secrets are. So he set out on uh, writing these texts uh, and some of the texts were published through through different pseudonyms and different characters in, in this hoax um, that reportedly were these the secrets of the Freemasons, their initiations, what the Freemasons were really doing behind closed doors and all of this was just uh, propagated throughout society the, the Catholic Church uh, was assisting in publishing these texts and unfortunately it's uh, it's left ripples in, in contemporary society to this day. So wild. That is a wild story. And the fact that
0: it's like entirely true and these are events that actually happened. You know, you, you sometimes think about your your own motivations in life. And so I'm trying to put myself in Leo Taxil's shoes here and asking myself why? Why would I be motivated? Why do you think he was motivated to create such an elaborate scheme? in order to bring down or one up the Catholic church?
1: He, he was an individual while, while he was growing up, he, he, was, a, he was a journalist and he, he often wrote a lot and he loved writing uh, satirical content, you know, and a lot of times it, it was pushing the boundaries of what society was okay with at the time, you know, again, going back to, you know, he, he wrote this, um, uh, he wrote this text where he kind of re-envisioned the life of Jesus Christ. So you can imagine how that was taken in society. Uh, He was also likening individuals within the Catholic Church to Marquis de Sade um, and kind of writing these elaborate uh, sexual fantasies that they were going through and whatnot. So I'm assuming that it did come from this idea of wanting to make these same Individuals in the Catholic Church just seem gullible, you know, or, or kind of just to to one up them and with the, in terms of their intellect and and what they believed, and then unfortunately using Freemasonry and using the order as a, as the tool to get there, you know, and and manipulating Freemasonry in order to 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 get to them because at the end of the day these individuals weren't going through the degrees, they really weren't members of the orders, so. I'm assuming he was coming at it from a point of view that it doesn't matter what I write, you know, as long as it's anti-Masonic, I'm just adding fuel to the fire to this uh, anti-Masonic fervor that was growing at the time. And uh, that was the easiest way that he was going to get there, you know, and and he at, at one point he said, you know, I denounce all of the anti-clerical things that I've written in the past. I denounced my past as a Freemason and I want to go, go back to the Catholic church and and they accepted him with, uh, with open arms. So. Wow. So
0: do you think though, it was like for fame, fortune, just because it was a joke that kind of got away from him or, I mean, what, what was the higher purpose? What was really
1: driving him? I don't think that it was for fame per se, uh, the reason why I'm going back to him wanting to prove that these individuals were gullible is because at the end of his career, he was interviewed uh, by a Parisian newspaper. And that question was asked to him, you know, like, why did you do this? And he, he talks about how uh, in the beginning, he just wanted to see what would happen, right? And that no matter what craziness he was writing, the individuals were just saying like, "We want more. Yes, this is a, this is exactly like we knew the Freemasons were like this. This is all the horrible. you see, everything that we've been saying is true. This is why Freemasons are bad, And he kept going with it, you know And, and I remember that at the end of the interview, and we did, uh, if I'm not mistaken, we did publish this section in the, in the issue, he says something to the effect of, "There is no end to human stupidity." You know, because we're talking about he's writing accounts where masons are meeting in lodges and we're learning how to go through brick walls uh, as water. Like we're learning how to liquefy ourselves to be able to go through uh, go through walls where we are. Um, One of the the individuals that was uh, writing text, it was a pen name, Diana Vaughn. The Masons had summoned this entity that was an alligator that had written uh, prophecies on her back with its tail, you know. So it was it was these very like elaborate, mystical, fantastical ideas that were being put out to the public. And people were just saying, yeah, man, you see, we've known it all along. Like these Masons are crazy. So, yeah, it's 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 the gullibility, you know yeah well, maybe he was getting a little feedback from his audience that
0: was encouraging him yeah right that that good or positive review, positive press, positive feedback from his core audience probably uh, not only set the wheels in motion but kept the momentum it's It's strange how he was against the church and the church was against Freemasonry. And, and he aimed at Freemasonry as a way to undermine the church, like that seems convoluted, right? Like right. it seems like if Leo Taxil really wanted to undermine the church, he would have gone directly at the church itself. So why, why do you think his goal of undermining the church was kind of vetted or, or manifested in this anti-Masonic
1: strategy? The way that I interpret it is he he had to show that he was uh, an individual that was reformed. Uh, so it was, you know, I used to write these anti-clerical texts and specifically what he was, quote unquote, exposing from the Freemasons, right, were things that if you're a mason you needed to be anti-clerical in that way you know because this whole concept of freemasonry and the palladian order that was within freemasonry that was running masonry all across the world the main goal uh and and for the freemasons the pope was albert pike the the main goal was to take over the catholic church you know to to blaspheme uh, to to uh, yell obscenities at, at religious figures. So he was able to maneuver it in such a way that he said, hey, look, I was a Freemason. This is what I did in my past. I'm denouncing all of that, you know? And then he was unfortunately able to use Freemasonry as a tool to be able to say, I'm going to give you the information that you want, accept me, while at the same time still undermining you know, their, their intelligence and, and using, using them in order to like spread this, uh, this hoax, uh, around. So, in in fact, he was using both sides as a tool, you know, he, he was manipulating and, and perversing the, the idea of Freemasonry while also manipulating the Catholic church and their resources in order to, to get his, uh, you know, his, his ideas, uh, across. Yeah. It sounds
0: Almost as if he was like a double operative, like some like undercover spy, trying to play both sides against each other with this, you know, grand scheme or or master plan in mind. So there's this um, kind of alleged religious order within the craft that that he invented, I guess, or at least imagined and and expanded. But the Palladian Freemasonry, tell us more about this religious order. Uh, presumably, that was within
1: our craft during this time. Yeah. So the the Palladian Order had at its as its head uh, Albert Pike, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, our Grand Mistress of the Temple was uh, Diana Vaughn, and the Palladian Order was kind of like the the head organization within Freemasonry. It was a religious order that was Luciferian, um, and it controlled Freemasonry across the world. There was a political extension of it. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, the, um, the headquarters was facing the Vatican. And what it was asking Freemasons to do, as I mentioned earlier, is uh, to blaspheme, to uh, overtake the Catholic Church and anything that the Catholic Church said just to go against it there were those were the higher orders the quote unquote higher orders that were actually running everything. There were two masculine grades that were called the Companion of Ulysses and the Adelphis, and then there was one feminine grade that was called the Companion of Penelope and Diana Vaughn is this this figure that is uh, is prominent within that you know that story of the of the higher degrees because she was an individual that had been. Betrothed to Asmodius, uh, the demon, and mm-hmm. she was an individual that had begun studying Joan of Arc, and she said that she had had these visions that were similar to Joan of Arc, and that caused her to denounce her past as the Grand Mistress of Freemasonry to kind of uh, go into hiding, and then say you know, she she published a text called "The Confessions of an Ex-Paladist," where she started. "Quote unquote," exposing what the Palladian Order was actually doing within Freemasonry, and she's said to have been uh, locked away in a convent because the Masons immediately sent out these Masonic assassins that were looking all around the world uh, to find her to to kill her and and shut her up for uh, anything that she she might say. So, yeah. wow, the the details are so explicit, and
0: like as you're describing it, I'm just thinking. This could literally be a screenplay, you know, a major feature film dedicated to this history because it's so elaborate.
1: It's like a novel. It almost reads like a novel. Taxel talks about how the initiation for a mason is, you know, you go into a lodge and you have to kill a sheep, right? And then they tell you, they don't tell you it's a sheep, right? But you kill it and then they tell you, You know, this this could be uh, one of your brothers if you, um, you know, if you reveal any of the secrets, you know, and then sometimes uh, they're said to have interchanged them. So one, you know, one initiation, it could be a sheep, another initiation, it it could actually be a human being. So you didn't know, you know, so and but the idea was that, you know, you're already inside the lodge. And once you step foot into the lodge, you're already a killer. You know, you're you're already a, a bad human being. Yeah. A killer
0: with the ability to liquefy oneself and move through walls, apparently. (laughs) So we have a good view, I think, of what was going on at the time. In his head, what was the response from Grand Lodges or Masonic response
1: in general? Well, one interesting thing is that around the time that the human genus was Published Albert Pike also responded to the Humanum Genus and kind of, you know, uh, uh, responding to to Pope Leo the Thirteenth and, and kind of saying, hey, the, this view that you're uh, portraying of Freemasonry is distorted, especially because in the Humanum Genus, it's uh, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the the Pope was also saying that you had to denounce Christianity in order to to become a, a Freemason was which isn't true, and uh, Brother Arthur Edward Waite actually wrote a book. uh, It's called Devil Worship in France around the time that all of this is going on. And the funny thing about that is that when he's writing this book, he's like, something doesn't make sense because I'm a Freemason. I didn't go through any of this. A lot of this doesn't make sense, but I want to write this book to kind of explore what is going on. And then after Ah, uh, Taxil comes out because when Taxil kind of comes out and says like, "Hey, all of this wasn't real," that is a show in itself. And then Arthur Edward Waite comes out and he writes a book and he's just like, "Yeah, so I knew that this was a lie. This had to have been a lie. Let's go further into it and and do some more exploration as to how all of this uh, wasn't true." You know, so there there were some some brothers that were that were writing, obviously. Uh, against these things and and, and saying that these accusations weren't real, that it was just fantasy. But again, at the time you have an anti-Masonic fervor that's kind of saying, well, of course you're going to say this isn't, you know, this isn't real. Yeah. It's kind of like the expected response. Of
0: course you're going to say it's a, it's a hoax or it's all fake. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure I don't, I'm not as familiar with the history around that time, like in terms of what the impact was on lodges and membership but I'm assuming it added to that anti-Mysonic fervor, but then also impacted membership. Is that true?
1: Yeah. And in, in, in France at the time, I, I do know if I'm not mistaken that that really did impact the membership because people didn't want to be associated with that. You know, so it, it was it was really again perversing the idea of what of what the craft was actually, you know, doing and the the identity of the craft itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it's so inspiring, brother, to hear you speak about this topic. Uh, I know that you've, you know, done a ton of research. You've offered presentations at various lodges on this topic. Uh, it's it's a really extensive body of work and research. Uh, tell us why you you focused your attention in this direction. Like, what was it about this hoax that maybe uh, inspired you from the beginning, and why you continue to research and and talk about it today.
1: I think that when I, when I joined the, the craft, I was raised in November 2016. And when I joined the craft, obviously all of us, to one extent or another, we've heard some conspiracy theory uh, of what Freemasonry actually is. Uh, and then we join, and obviously we know that that's not uh, what it is. So ever since the moment that I found out that the taxi hoax was something that historically happened... I just thought it was so fascinating and interesting to, to explore what it actually was. And then to share it with brothers that maybe weren't aware of it, because this was obviously something that affected Freemasonry. I think that it continues to affect Freemasonry in a way that maybe a lot of individuals might not be aware of. Um, And I think that it's, it's an, uh, obviously it's an important part of, of our history that we should know about just because of, of, its implications. So for me, it was, it was more so of wanting to educate myself as to how Freemasonry can be attacked, you know, and, and the impact that, that it can have, you know, not, not only on us as Freemasons, but just on, on the identity of the craft uh, towards individuals that aren't members of it, you know, because those those individuals could be our, our loved ones that aren't members of the craft. But then as soon as they hear that we're members of the craft, you know, their their ears might perk up a little bit and they might say, oh, is that a good idea? You know, should you be, you know, a member of those crazy people? So,
0: yeah, that's a good uh, segue, because I did want to ask you about one, one point that you make in your guest editor's word. You highlight that even today, several centuries later. And I'll quote here, that quote, Freemasonry still finds itself at the center of controversy through misinformation, much of it related to this long ago discredited source or this long ago discredited hoax. Is the connection between those events in the past and the information or the perception of our craft
1: today, are they still linked that closely? I, I think that they're definitely linked. The only thing is that it's small ripples that if we don't check them, they can create these huge waves that could deeply uh, affect the craft. And what I mean by that is that we hear these small little conspiracies that are thrown out and you can link them back to the taxi hoax. So for example, I remember that when I was raised if somebody asked me, uh, somebody had asked me, you know, are, are you a Mason? Yeah, I'm a, I'm a master Mason. What degree is that? Oh, well, that's the third degree. Oh, so you really don't know what's going on. You know, you, 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 when you're in the higher degrees, you know, what's going on, you know? So there's, there's this idea of this cabal that's kind of uh, running the show around there. And, and brother Parker uh, who wrote an, an article in, in the craft, you know, he, he talks about anti-Semitism and, and the Taxio hoax. So it's kind of, you, you see this similar thing where, you know, during World War II, you have the Third Reich kind of saying that Freemasonry is uh, is an arm of the Jewish people that's meant to, uh, you know, manipulate society and things like that, you know? So uh, the, these are, it, it's these ideas, you know, that somebody might say, uh, uh, you know, and they think they're, they're saying it innocently, oh, you, you really don't know what's going on then, you know, but the power behind those ideas uh, is is very serious. So I, I would connect them, you know, with small little things like that. Like during the COVID pandemic, I saw a lot of people were sharing misinformation saying that Freemasons were actually the ones that released the COVID virus for population control, you know, even something as small as, uh, you know, if, if, if anybody's on social media, the milk crate challenge, people were kind of showing the milk crates and then uh, the different degrees of Freemasonry and saying the Masons were behind, you know, the milk crates uh, challenge and things like that. So, you know, you're, you're seeing these small little uh, uh, ideas that once somebody throws it out there, uh, nobody's questioning it, you know, and they can be amplified to an extent that it can, it can deeply affect brothers, you know, and, and, and the identity of the craft. Yeah.
0: And the, the tax hoax or the events surrounding that was like a concentrated event that has now had ripple effects out even to today's conspiracies.
1: Yeah. Uh, especially because I think we find ourselves in a moment where Conspiracy theories, uh, now you have an amalgamation of a bunch of small conspiracy theories that kind of become this hulk of a conspiracy theory. And I think that that's what what happened with Taxil, where he was getting all of these crazy ideas and he just said, hey, how about I just concentrate it into a narrative? You know, so instead of having these small little conspiracies, I'm just creating this big one of all these small ideas uh, and let me see how far I can go. You know, and, yeah. and that's dangerous.
0: Yeah. I mean misinformation is so prevalent today and you know what we consume and what we read is off of these very sophisticated algorithms so we we don't really know the sources of of content or or what we consume in terms of information would you say that you know having gone through this exercise of additional research additional writing and and publishing this issue would you say that your primary purpose was exactly that to address some misinformation and kind
1: of set the record straight to a degree? Uh, I'd say the answer is twofold. The first one, yes. And then as a supplemental response, maybe what I would say is I found it very interesting to be able to uh, explore the Taxil hoax and then give presentations as I have while still referring to Taxil as a brother, right? And the reason why I do that is because that that is similarly expressed in the Hieramic legend, right, where this is an individual that went through the, the entered apprentice degree. He's a brother. But at the same time, look at the damage that he did to the craft and unfortunately the damage that has persisted. So I think that in itself is a, an exercise. of a, It's a reflective exercise of just expressing to the brothers, this is what can happen even if you're a brother. You know, so you have to you have to regulate yourself. You have to check yourself, and you also have to educate yourself, because something that you might think you know isn't going to be a big deal, an action that that you might take, could end up having some some deep consequences. In that sense, you almost paint the picture that Leo
0: Taxil was I'm not going to say a hero, but his actions provided some level of teaching <laughs> for us today. Yeah. Right. I I think that example that you just gave, like, look what can happen now that you are vested with these tools and this knowledge. Look what can happen if you use these tools in you know ways that are not becoming of a Freemason. Yeah, they're nefarious, you know. Yeah.
1: Do we have him to thank for that? I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> I really don't know how to answer that because you know, it it goes back to the idea of, did he seek out to do damage to the craft? I'm not sure about that, you know, but he was using the craft as a tool and that was damaging in itself, you know? So did he unintentionally, you know, do damage to the craft? Yes. Was it intentional? We don't know, but I think that you can definitely learn from, from his, his mistake, you know, and, and it, it really is a lesson against pride because it, it, for him, it was this journey of wanting to one-up the Catholic church. uh. But, you know, look at, look at the damage that was, that was done in the end.
0: Yeah. It seems to be largely driven by his own
1: ego. But I think
0: when we started discussing this, we were kind of evaluating what was his true motive And if it was, you know, just completely self-serving, that's one thing. But maybe there was nothing happens (laughs) just purely out of you know coincidence, right? I, I feel like there's always this level of cause and effect and maybe grand design at play. And this part of the history, our history may very well have been a catalyst for future change and developments and maybe evolution for our craft. Yeah. So you've you've literally like done research, prepared presentations, done, you know, a handful of, of lectures, and I'm sure we'll continue to speak on this topic, uh, written extensively, produced the issue. You're, you're doing the, the direct work of helping Freemasons kind of champion the real tenets and principles of our craft. Are there ways, that, like, is there advice that you would give to fellow Masons, fellow brothers on how else to champion like the true motives, the true tenets, and the true principles
1: of our craft? Um, I always go back to education because for me, that that's specifically one of the reasons why um, I got into the craft, why I joined the craft. It was because of the education that I knew that mm-hmm. it could provide and understanding that, you know, we do love to, we do love to explore the craft through different perspectives, right? But at the end of the day, at its core, the, the craft and its teachings are it's an ethical system right? And it's an ethical system that calls on you to become a better individual. And I enjoy exploring the craft through different perspectives, but at the same time, I always try to stay grounded in the fact that, you know, there there is an ethical system there that I do have to understand and I have to integrate within myself uh, because you can't operate with this idea that, oh, I'm, I'm a Freemason when I'm in Lodge. You know, once you have gone through that initiation the initiation is beginning anew. You are a new individual, you know. So it's always remembering what those lessons are, integrating them, you know, and and finding it within yourself to be uh, as ethically inclined as you can possibly be. And I don't want it to sound like a self-righteous way because you know I'm not a perfect individual, you know. We're we're all the rough ashlers, uh, and it, it is hard work to to be that way, you know. But I always do try to to operate within within that way. So I don't know if that answers the question, but.
0: What I heard you say is that we as Freemasons can use Masonic education as a vehicle to champion the real truths and intentions of our craft and use Masonic education in a way that's fair and accurate, unbiased, uh, not
1: only to better develop ourselves but to kind of spread the word, if you will. And really it's supposed to be, you know, us transforming ourselves. And as a result of that, we get to transform our society, you know? So what society is it that we want to, uh, to live in, you know? So if, if we're doing the work within ourselves, then, you know, it, it stands to reason that, you know, as good of people as we are, that's hopefully the society that, that we'll be, we'll be living in. So
0: it, it reminds me of you want to lead by example, you know, or, or that actions speak louder than words. So even in the case of bad press and conspiracies going on, as long as we're upholding our own pursuit of perfection, that ripple effect, that positive ripple effect will be felt not only in ourselves, but in our families, our communities, our society.
1: Yeah, and, and it's the reason why the, the identity of, of the craft, despite all these accusations, has been persisted. You know, and why some individuals that maybe if they're not brothers, you know, they one day they, they still do want to knock on the door and, and visit a lodge, you know, as opposed to emulating Taxo.
0: Well said. I, I was just uh, chatting with someone the other day who's been interested in taking that first step into Lodge. And I asked him why. And he said, because Freemasons in my life have been the most upright moral, impressive, you know, straight shooting individuals he's ever, he's ever met. And I, th- I thought that was a true compliment to our craft.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and that's kind of been my experience as well with, with people that, that do know about the Masons, you know, they, they might say something like, well, I'm not too familiar with, with the Masons, but I do know that the ones that I've known in my life, uh, have been very good individuals you know they've been inspiring and influential and and they've been good-hearted individuals so you know yeah. that that's one thing that you that you always hear
0: yeah do you think leo taxel was scared for his like well-being or
1: safety at any point well funny enough um it was on april 19th 1897 that he held this, uh, it was gonna be this event at the Paris Geographical Hall where he was going to bring out Diana Vaughn and show her to the world. And she was gonna talk to the world about the Palladian masonry and all of this. And th- all of these individuals were, you know, were gathering and they wanna hear this anti Masonic rhetoric and they're ready to go, they're amped up, you know. And he comes out and he kind of tells him, Yeah, this has been a lie. All these years I've just been lying and <laughs> this, is, this is what I've done. Uh, and individuals got pissed. They threatened wow. his life. He <laughs> had to exit through the back. You know, they wanted a, to kill him and stuff like that. So, yeah, there, there were there were in because because they were so wrapped up in this lie. They were so invested in this, you know, because they knew this was right, that that moment came where he told them it's been a lie. And really, it's an attack on the individuals as character, you know, because now you have accepted this is the truth. And there's no way that this can, this can be a lie. And when someone tells you it's a lie, it's, you know, your ego is being attacked. Your identity is being attacked because you're living this anti-Masonic rhetoric, you know? So he, yeah, he did. He, he, he had death threats, you know, against his life because of that, because he had kept this going on for 12, 13 years. So, so yeah, you know, I I can't imagine what that must've felt like, but. Hmm. I I hate going out on limbs (laughs) with these, some of these ideas, But in
0: a way, that was a transformative experience he gave those individuals. Like that's another lesson, (laughs) right? Like their hero questioning the fact that they have vested their their lives and their truths in this hero, and then to have the hero be a fraud, maybe that was an awakening moment for some of those individuals. Maybe that changed the course of many of those
1: individuals'
0: lives for the better.
1: well, the, these texts were, you know, were, were being brought to, to individuals within the church, and they were written by these different pen names, and nobody was ever bothering to fact check and say, well, you know what, can we meet such and such person? You know, nobody was saying that. They were just reading this and saying, oh, good to go. You see another entry in, in, in uh, you know, in, in, in knowing that, that the Freemasons are just horrible individuals. So it, it really was a, a learning experience for a lot of individuals. Yeah. And, and talk about foreshadowing.
0: I guess that's another key lesson even today with all the misinformation is like, check your sources, yeah. you know, think on your own, you know, don't don't believe everything you read or everything you see because it may not be that complete picture.
1: And that really comes with also self-regulation or regulating your character because the the impulsive thing to do, right, is you're going to react out of emotion. You like something or you don't. Right, right, then you have to get over that and say okay is is what i 'm reading the truth is what i 'm experiencing you know the way that i 'm interpreting it, or is this just a momentary thing you know and that that 's important for all of us to to be able to integrate yeah, so if we look at today
0: 's conspiracies, you mentioned that during covid nineteen some allegations emerged that freemasons are responsible somehow responsible for the virus right i 'm sure it was Freemasons and the Illuminati. Yeah. Are there modern-day anti-masonic conspiracies that we should be aware of and maybe be addressing in in a more active way, like proactively addressing these current
1: conspiracies? As far as a a big one, like a global one, I'm none come to mind. It's only these small campaigns that every now and then, you know, come up and and prop up and and are shared around, you know, but. You never know. You know the the world uh, changes every second, so you know you you never really know what's going to come up or who's going to bring it up. To to my knowledge, as as far as a big global one, uh, I I'm not aware of uh, of
0: any. How big was the COVID nineteen conspiracy? It was I, I know it was I, I saw it on social media myself, but do we have a sense of like the scale of of that one in particular? No, no, I, I
1: wouldn't be able to tell you, but but it was something that I saw you know, uh, being shared on social media. I had, uh, friends that, you know, they didn't believe it, but they, they were sharing it with me and they're like, why are people saying this, you know? And and they were even saying like, this doesn't make sense to me, you know, especially because our brothers were also catching COVID, you know? So, so what, what is the idea behind that? Yeah. Large enough at least to, to see and have an impact on
0: our individual lives at least. So I, I always love to ask, Editors and writers, contributors, this question because I I think that the process, I know that the process of research and writing can be uh, illuminating. So I'm wondering, did you have any aha moments going through
1: this process of preparing the issue? I don't know if I would say I had aha moments, but it was just moments of seeing how crazy this could go and that these things were actually believed, you know? And then from being able to obviously read uh, other texts uh, throughout time, just seeing how extensive it actually was—that it extended to other individuals that were part of the gag and writing under pen names and you know publishing these texts—you know there there's a story for anybody that's interested. Uh, doctor Batay who had uh, medically worked on this individual that was an Italian man that had formerly been a member of the Palladian order. And he was on his deathbed. And, you know, right before he's about to die, he says, I'm a reformed individual and I denounce Freemasonry and I'm going to give you the secrets, you know, of, of Freemasonry. So it's like seeing all of these different avenues, you know, that maybe aren't Necessarily spoken of when we mentioned the taxi hoax uh, was mm. fascinating because you see uh just how deep the the rabbit hole uh goes, so you know every, every time I read anything new that pertains to the taxi hoax, I always find something something new that i I didn't know about before um, yeah. so I, I don't know if I would necessarily say an, an aha moment, but it's just interesting to see uh the story never ends
0: yeah that's I guess part of the beauty of researching or, or looking at history as you know the, the deeper you go, the more you start to see the context of all the other surrounding events during that time. and it, it helps broaden your, your understanding of, of that time, place, situation. One thing that I was surprised about or, or I guess a new thought that I had after reading through this issue a couple times was that th- this is a pretty like significant event in our Masonic history. And yet, this is the first time really that I've ever heard this story brought to my lodge. So I'm wondering, like, why do you think lodges or Masonic education within lodge, why do you think they're
1: not addressing this topic in more light? I think that because once you start researching the story, you're touching on a lot of occult topics that maybe a lot of brothers might not be comfortable uh, discussing in Lodge. And what I mean by that is, and and I guess in a way, this goes back to the previous question that you asked, but you look up the Taxil hoax, and then suddenly you see, well, Brother Arthur Edward Waite was involved, you know, in this, you know, and kind of uh, wanting to do research on it. And then, you know, Taxil used the illustration of the Baphomet in one of his uh, texts. And whose illustration was that? Uh, life is levies illustration uh, of that so now he's uh, you know in, involved in all of this you mm-hmm. know so you're, you're kind of going into into these areas that maybe some brothers might not be uh, comfortable with exploring and at the same time you're also talking about this individual that was a brother and again obviously he, he, he was kicked out of the craft uh, you know, and he's he's uh, he's left this uh, he, unfortunately he's left this looming shadow, you know, on on that has been cast uh, over Freemasonry. But he was a, a brother that was, you know, voted in and and went through the the Entered Apprentice degree. So it's very difficult for us to to have to um, confront that. Uh, as there have also been other brothers that that have been very controversial in things that they 've said or things that they 've believed believed what have you you know, so I think that it, it deals with a lot of uh, topics that maybe uh, some brothers might not be comfortable in uh, in exploring, but those are avenues that we have to walk, you know, they're they're rough and rugged roads that we have to uh, walk through, you know, just to gain a better understanding of ourselves. But not only is it to gain a better understanding of ourselves, but we're also becoming better educators to the world on who we are, you know, not only as members of the craft, but again, going back to the character and the identity of the craft. So
0: I, I think you're right. There's probably a level of discomfort that comes with Talking, discussing, sharing these ideas, or looking at these topics, looking at this aspect of history. There's probably also an element of like the implications, you know, what other prominent Freemasons were kind of involved during this time. And maybe also there's a sense of like, well, if we bring it up, maybe we're going to look like we're just kind of defending ourselves. We might look defensive. So maybe there's some sensitivity about how this might be perceived. But I'm, I'm with you, brother. I mean, the, the more we can address some hard-hitting truths about our histories, the better off we're going to be in terms of, you know, transparency, authenticity, right. having tough conversations. Like, that's the beauty of being with Brethren, right? Is that you can actually, for a moment in space, have some tough conversations and some, some deeper dialogue that maybe you don't have with, uh, with other people in your life.
1: Yeah. And, and, and this topic definitely, you know, opens the door to, to being able to, to share that, you know, yep. I, I, I just uh, extend it to the brothers, you know, like do, do some research and read about it because you're gonna, you know, you're gonna find it fascinating, you know, from a research perspective and, you know, explore.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Even just purely from an objective research perspective, it's fascinating. Talking about things or considering things that are fascinating, you, sir, have some very fascinating things that you've worked on. <laughs> what are those things in the future? What's on the
1: horizon for you in terms of research, talks, future writing? This this year, I've had a lot of fun exploring rhetoric, uh, and uh, I've I had the pleasure uh, I've had the pleasure of giving a, a lecture at several lodges. Um, about rhetoric and the fellow craft degree and kind of doing a deep dive on rhetoric and mm. you know, have have really enjoyed that some other topics that you know i'm kind of working on i've uh, been doing a lot of research on alchemy so we'll we'll see what comes from there very interested in uh, doing a presentation on brother arthur edward waite i'm uh, brother oscar wilde doing a, a presentation on the tarot and uh, and also developing some presentations on the scottish right degrees you know i i haven't really uh, spoken on the scottish right degrees and i'm kind of interested in in doing a presentation on some of the degrees so you know, I'm I'm always just trying to read, take notes. I, I keep a little journal uh with me where I read a book and then I, you know, write things down just so so I can have them for future reference. So it's it's always just keeping myself uh reading because I know that eventually I'm you know I'm gonna connect some dots and then uh hopefully if I have something I feel is, is interesting to say, I, I hope that the brethren will, will find it equally as interesting and we can have a, a conversation about that. So
0: yeah. Well, you heard it here first, ladies and gentlemen. Rhetoric, alchemy, and the Scottish Rite degrees on the horizon. Can't wait. So I've got your personal email. I can contact you at any time. But for those of us who don't have your personal email, what's the best way to connect with you, learn more, have a little lively conversation like this one?
1: So if you are on Instagram, you can follow me at, at underscore Wayne. Uh, if <laughs> okay. You know. Quick story. Tell us a quick story about Bruised Wayne. Where does that come from? <laughs> um, you know, I've, I always try to play around with the, uh, with the Instagram handle. At one point, you know, I've been the wolf of Walmart um, and uh, I've just tried to, to keep it funny because uh, I, I always try to be funny with anybody that, that I'm talking to. Um, and at one point, I was just sitting there one day and I said, you know what? Uh, I like Batman. Bruce Wayne came to mind and I said that that'll be my Instagram handle and I haven't changed it since. And to be <laughs> honest, I don't, I don't think I'm, I'm ever going to, uh, going to change it. So you're never going back to Wolf of Walmart, huh? No, I don't
0: think I'm going <laughs> to Walmart. <laughs> oh, that's great. Well, now, you know, there's no way we can forget underscore Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne. Yeah. that is on Instagram. How
1: else? If you're on uh, Facebook, you can find me at Daniel Molina. If you want to shoot me an email, Molina 6016 at gmail.com. Also follow follow my lodge, Hibiscus Lodge 275 on Instagram, on Facebook as well. And shoot me a message. You know, I I, I always love talking to brothers. I like hearing what brothers have to say because I I, I know that it's always going to be a great conversation. So whether you want to shoot me an email, you want to, you know, uh, send me a, a message on Instagram, or Facebook, what have you, you know, reach out and, and let's stay connected you know, I love it. That's great. Thank you. And I'm sure a handful of people
0: are going to take you up on that. Thanks for this time, for this discussion, a little more uh, illumination around this really fascinating time in, in history. Uh, congratulations on this issue. I mean, it's a necessary aspect of any Mason's continued education to uh, to really champion who we are, and the real reasons why we exist. And I think these lessons, this study is really important,
1: helpful in in that pursuit. So thank you. Thank you, brother. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, It it was an awesome time and uh, thank you. Fraternal Review has been published for over six decades and each issue is dedicated to a specific topic such as Masonic symbols, lore, and history. If you enjoyed this episode of Fraternal Review's podcast, please subscribe, support, or visit our website for more information. You can become a digital, print, or digital and print subscriber of the Fraternal Review Magazine at theresearchlodge.com.